Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Lamar with 5280 Esports. Um, I am here today with a very special guest. It's, uh, it goes by Dre or Andrea's. Yeah, either. <laughs> okay, so we got Jay, <laughs> and he is actually the CEO creative director of Nosebleed Interactive, who actually develops one of the coolest games that I played recently, um, which is why I'm excited to have him. But um, go ahead and let us uh, or let us know kind of a little bit about yourself, Trey. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, so Andrea Spurningle, or Dre, uh, creative director and CEO of Nosebleed Interactive. Been making games for professionally for like, I don't know, 23 years or something mad like that. That seems wrong. That seems <laughs> incorrect. But um, but yeah, first game I ever worked on was as a tester on a game called Big Mother Truckers on GameCube. That was my first credited <laughs> title. There's not the high point on my career, but also not the low point. That was Big Mother Truckers 2, Truck Me Harder. Um, <laughs> I may have heard which, about that game, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> BMT wasn't bad. BMT 2 was really, really bad. It was just, it was like pulling teeth working on that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm a big gamer. Um, Nosebleed itself has been going for, coming up for 13 years, I think. No, 12, 12 years in May, officially, but I'd kind of already started it 12 years ago. Um, and yeah, I guess our biggest and most well-known title is Arcade Paradise. I mean, it, it, it shipped on basically every platform, including Google Stadia. <laughs> oh! Um, shipped. In fact, it, it launched the day that uh, that they closed closed that server. Well, no, the day that they announced they were closing the service, which is disappointing. Mm. But, um, and yeah, obviously it's been on Game Pass and Humble Choice um, most recently. Um, so yeah, that's, that's no. me. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I know it's been a little bit, um, of a, um, kind of a, a, a I guess you'd say journey to get here. <laughs> it's, we've been in talk yeah. for a while. You yeah. I'm not, I'm not very organized. I'm not very organized. That's the problem. That's, that's, right. that's not, it's not on you. That's definitely on me. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, I just want to say new happy new years to everyone. I know it's kind of the holidays. So I, you know, we didn't have too many episodes coming out, but we're back in it season two for 24. Um, we're super excited. We have a really good list of people coming out, um, beyond the, to be on the show. Um, we have some really good, um, guests for everyone. Um, so Dre, um, like I said, so you're the CEO and uh, creative director of Nosebleed Interactive. Um, kind of, I guess, f- for everyone listening, I kind of wanted to get an idea of like kind of your backstory, kind of how you did you start the company? Did you get into it? Uh, was it already established? Um, kind of going to the business of it um, and in your background, kind of your personal life growing up, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so I, I, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you hopping on here. Um, like, yeah. so thank you so much. And um, I guess we can get started whenever you're ready. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, so I, uh, like, first thing I'll say is I'm a big, big gamer, and I have been since since I played on the VIC-20, um, <laughs> the first time I sort of touched on, you know, always always wanted to make games since the age of eight, you know, to draw maps and stuff like that, for, you know, draw screens for, for puzzle games that I used to love and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I got, got my, as I say, worked on my first game kind of 23 years ago, uh, as a tester for a company and 
worked for them mostly on racing games for about three, four years, and then took a bit of a sabbatical um, as my wife was doing a PhD and um, sort of travelled the world for a year, yeah. and then and then got a job up in Scotland at a company um, where I quickly kind of went into uh, from testing into kind of design and was a sort of level designer and game designer there for about six years working on kind of first well third party games for sony stuff so we did like a bunch of the buzz junior games which i don't know if you remember them it was like the quiz games but the kids versions which use oh, those yeah. controllers and then we did a, a playstation move launch title called the shoot um which was was really good learning experience and really fun to work on the game itself like has a lot of flaws, but it's one of those ones that I have quite a lot of fond memories of because of just, you know, it's got lots of good parts, yeah. <laughs> but overall it's not great. Um, and then the, the company that I was working for ceased trading uh, mm. maybe 13, 14 years ago. So basically everyone got made redundant, studio effectively closed. Um, and so I decided to set up my own company basically so kind of with some credit cards and oh, wow. not that many contacts and a bit of redundancy pay i sort of started out got a got a few graduates recent graduates from local universities and paired them off with some kind of veterans like a guy who had worked on the large hadron collider and then worked on the watchdogs renderer team for ubisoft Oh, cool. Kind of paired, and, and an artist from Sega Racing Studios, kind of paired one graduate with one, you know, senior, one graduate with one senior. Um, mm. And the, 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 the seniors were kind of doing two days a week or something like that. So it wasn't caught, it wasn't breaking the bank, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think they set out to do their own thing as well and built a prototype, built our own engine for PlayStation Mobile. I don't know if you remember that as a platform. It was mm-hmm. a thing that was available on Android and on PlayStation Vita early doors. Mm-hmm. And so I had some contacts from Sony still just a little bit. I mean, I was, I, I didn't, I hadn't really done any, I had no business experience, but I kind of knew the people that I'd worked with in the past, mm-hmm. reached out to them and they were like, Oh, I'll pitch it to us. So my first ever pitch to anyone was five Sony execs and one guy from creative, UK, who's like a like a government organisation that help fund stuff, mm. and I'd seen a bunch, and they'd kind of done a bunch of like it was it's kind of like a slight kind of competition pitching event type thing mm-hmm. where they would fund a prototype for the winners. Uh, I got super drunk the night before. <laughs> I was wearing a suit with like shirt and tie. I'd never pitched to anyone before because so I was like. Yeah, that's probably what people do. Yeah. So, I mean, I've worked in games for 12 years or something previously, but or 10 years previously, but I hadn't, you know, I was just doing day-to-day work. I'd never done any of the business side of things. Mm-hmm. So I turned up really hungover in a suit, <laughs> sweating, uh, sat down on the end of a table, like one of those nightmare interviews on the table on one <laughs> end, six people on the egg, five Sony execs on one side and um, started explaining the game pulled out of my jacket pocket uh, a PlayStation Vita running the game, well, running a, a prototype, handed it over, and 
Um, and I knew it was going well when the one of the execs was like, oh, no, just one more go, just one more go. I was like, okay, this is going okay. This isn't bad. And so, yeah, they basically pretty much on the spot signed the game, um, which is great. <laughs> but, I mean, spent uh, two and a half years kind of making it. So that was a game called The Hungry Horde, and it was a PlayStation Vita exclusive. Um, oh, cool. Made, well, published by Sony. So was that your first kind of big indie game that you got into the... Yeah, that was the first game. Yeah, that was the first game that we as a studio did. Um, mm-hmm. Nosebleed Interactive. The first game that was like me as a creative director and, and you know, calling pretty much all the shots, that sort of thing. You know, previously I'd had, I'd been a, a lead designer at a studio of like 50, 60 people, but, mm-hmm. um, but this was the first time kind of doing it off my own back, let's say. Obviously, with wow. a really great team <laughs> leading <Yeah>. that back. <laughs> you know, I say lead. They, yeah. they lead me. That's the, that's the thing. <laughs> so, um, people. <laughs> gotcha. So, you went, so did you go to school then to be like, did you have to go to school to get into that? Or, or um, was kind of schooling? Like, what did you plan on doing? So, <laughs> well, so I, I finished school and went to, I guess you call it, school is like before university type thing. Sure, so we call yeah. it uni here as well. But so uh, I I didn't really know what I was doing when I was like 17, 18. So I went to, okay. I picked a city that might be quite cool and a bit of a party mm-hmm. place. And I speak German fluently. So I was like, I'll do German and politics. Well, German and business studies. But I actually got the form wrong and it ended up being German and politics. So, um, you know, that tells you something, how motivated I was to do that. Yeah. Um, and I dropped out after like three months. I was like, this is, why am I doing this? You. This is a massive yeah. waste of time and money. And like, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I, I kind of, at the time was really, I mean, I was still playing loads of games, mm-hmm. but I was like, you didn't really consider a career in games to be a viable mm-hmm. thing. I was kind yeah. of like TV and film, like film editing, that sort of stuff I was really into. So I did mm-hmm. a sort of media production degree, but like in the, within the first year of doing that, I was really playing loads more games mm-hmm. and like starting to kind of understand a little bit how they were built and kind of, you know, getting into the kind of being interested in the industry and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my, my media degree, I kind of tailored a little bit, you know, so where, mm-hmm. when people were like, oh, we'll, we'll do an interview with the local, you know, we had to do like a, one of the practical modules was like a, you know, shoot a documentary and some of the people were like, oh, we'll go and interview firemen at the local fire station. And I was like, yeah, yeah. am I allowed to, <laughs> am I allowed to swear? Am I good swearing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, sure, you can swear. fuck that. I'm going to get in the car and drive to like, uh, free radical um mm-hmm. to to they just done to interview david doke who's like dr doke in the golden eye games and mm-hmm. uh they just launched well they launched time split as one on ps2 mm-hmm. maybe six months earlier got down there and they were like yeah did a really good interview with him and they were like oh do you want to have a go on time splitters two yeah. the demo where we're up to i was like yes please about a year before it would come out um edge magazine hope over here in the uk is like a, a print um mm. video games magazine one of the few that's still printed and it's like sort of the the one that's got a bit of an industry focus you know it's the the respected one so i went down to interview them and they just got their first <clears throat> xbox like three days earlier and halo and they were like 
it was one of their famous like 10 out of 10 you know they don't mm. give a lot of 10s and they were like yeah this is really good do you want to have a garnet so basically that was that was kind of where i was at and then graduating i um i was a bit like well i want to work in games either either as a tv film kind of editing mm. or games but my motivation for games was a lot stronger so i basically just started applying for jobs and actually got the first one as a tester. I was like, in where I live, there's like um, a Ubisoft studio, um, Reflections, who did like Driver and Stuntman and a bunch of stuff. Um, and I really wanted to work there, but it was a bit like, oh, I'm not going to apply there yet because I'm going to yeah. just, I'm going to apply to this place and use the feedback from my application. And I got the first job that I applied for. So it's like, all right, fair enough. And you said that, um, that job was a, what was that job? Uh, it was a, as a test at, uh, or a QA at... Um, oh, quality assurance testing? Yeah, yeah, at okay. uh, Utechnics. Um, mm-hmm. So they were, they were like, they did, they had the NASCAR license for years and years, so that's probably what they're most well known for. But I worked on Big Mother Truckers, Big Mother Truckers 2, Truck Me Harder, SRS <laughs> Street Racing Syndicate, um, Ford Mustang The Legend Lives, and I think that was it. Maybe... I think I might have seen the first, the first like couple of months of work on, oh what was it? Pimp my ride, I think. Yeah. But that was that, did, that didn't review very well. I don't think I'd already I'd left by the time that was in the full. Yeah. So so when you're in the you had a few jobs in the industry. You got that QA. What did you do after that? Did you kind of move up into different positions? Or? Yeah. So so uh, um, at Utechnics, I didn't. At Utechnics, I, I was there for like two two three years. Um, uh-huh. But then moved to Scotland, became a lead tester, and then kind of travelled around the world a little bit for eight months, like just mm-hmm. a bit of kind of backpacker for me. Well, well I was a backpacker, but. Um, mm-hmm was going to do because i've seen those a lot of those openings and for people wondering you know what is a q a tester what is what do you do you you be a game tester right you play the games look for bugs basically yeah pretty much i mean it really depends on who you're working for but as an internal um as an internal tester for a for a developer i think there's probably a bit more of a difference between a an internal qa qa and like working for a qa house or or like a publisher Mm mm-hmm when you're working for developer, you're a lot closer to the game. So it's actually a brilliant way of kind of learning the industry because you're constantly communicating with the design team, the art team, the coders, you know, I remember sitting, you know, there'd be a bug that I found, some sort of crash bug and the the coders would be like, right, can you sit up next to me? I'll watch you play. You try and get it to crash. I'll, you know, debug it. And I'd be watching them putting breakpoints into their code. And like, you get a lot more, um familiar with how the game is built um mm-hmm. within a, 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 a sort of QA team for a developer. Now I think the other thing that's probably a common misconception is you know you're just sitting playing the game. I mean that is 90% of your job mm-hmm. but you're not playing it for fun. You're playing it to try and break it and to try and break it in ways that you can always repeat. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And if you're creative, <laughs> it's not the easiest job because effectively you're just ruining other people's ruining other people's work. You're just like, yeah. right, how can so, you know? It, it can be quite um, demotivating, let's say. <laughs> but it is yeah. it's an absolutely brilliant way of, kind of of learning that sort of communication skill and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I still think QA are massively undervalued by by sort of developers and publishers. They you know they're such mm-hmm. an integral part of um, of game development that it's it's kind of unreal. Um, yeah, you know. yeah, because um, that sounds like a good way to get kind of in the industry. Because like you said, even I, there's a lot of developers and companies looking for Q and A's, and like you said, I think they are undervalued. Um, but it sounds like it's a great way to really get head first into the industry and learn different aspects of, at least kind of touch on different aspects of game development. Yeah. I mean, so one of our, one of our, um, one of our sort of superstar coders, mm-hmm. um, she started as QA had no, had no code, practical code experience at all. Mm-hmm. And kind of on the job, um, was, she had like a, she, she was really well. She is really technical, technically minded, and she was probably the best, probably the best tester I've ever worked with. Um, we could really find stuff easily, but also could normally, you know, had an idea of why things were, were breaking, which is I think a really good sign. You know, this breaks. That's not really that useful to anyone. Mm-hmm. This breaks if you do this. This this has like a a ninety percent chance of breaking if you do this that's mm-hmm. really useful this breaks 100% of the time I think it might be because of this this and this that's like that's when you know you've got someone who's really good at kind of testing and QA mm-hmm. um, and so I started giving her kind of some more technical jobs like sort of some some junior design jobs and in Arcade Paradise um, <clears throat> you know she started off doing a few of the simpler games and then she actually did blockchain, which is by far my favorite in the game. Um, and she, she wrote that from scratch. And it's like, well, hang on, you're not a designer really anymore at all. You're a coder. And yeah. since then she's kind of moved fully into, into code and it's all completely on the job self-taught and she's, mm-hmm. yeah, she's proper. Yeah. She's very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Brandy, thanks for uh, following. Um, are we new on streaming? No, we've well. The show is kind of new. It's maybe six months old. We've had a lot of cool guests on here, um, but no, we've been streaming for a while. We've had a lot of cool interviews. If you want to check out the rest, all of our platforms or on all the streaming services, it's just fifty two eighty esports. Got a ton of cool interviews. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you, so you did that, and then you left um, to do your. You left the Q and A stuff, right? Yeah, left left Q A. Uh, well, actually, I joined the, the company in Scotland. Um, oh, yeah. When I came came back from kind of traveling. Uh-huh. As Q, as sort of lead QA, but with an agreement that I would start doing some design tasks because I kind of knew that I wanted to be doing that, mm-hmm. and then very quickly moved into from junior Q, uh, from well basically out of QA from junior designer to senior to lead um, in yeah quite a short space of time, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of lead design uh, that's like game design and level design. Um, I think that's one of those things, especially at an indie studio. It's quite with bigger studios. It's there's a very clear distinction. You know, level designers block out the the feeling and the mm-hmm. the you know the, the actual levels effectively. Um, whereas a game designer tends to be a bit more top down, kind of overseeing the entire you know the systems and, and mm-hmm. how they interact and kind of lots of paperwork stuff. Um, yeah, and to a certain extent in, in kind of smaller studios often yeah those so roles you, are well, one. so you do that and then um from there 
I guess do you continue, yeah so we did we did that? yeah so we so I basically it was about five years that um that was at cohort studios up in Scotland mm. like I say working on a, a bunch of stuff mostly for Sony and then they they shut um so everyone was jobless and <laughs> um I set up my own company where I was kind of lead designer or you know design director or whatever I mean we don't we never in, in none of our things we put the credits are just our names in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, CEO and a guest design director or creative director or something mm. like that. So you moved up to that. or Okay, so then after that shuts down, then from there you start Nosebleed Interactive? Yeah, yeah, from there I started Nosebleed pretty much straight. Well, I kind of dosed about a little bit. My daughter was about three or four at the time, so I spent like mm-hmm. six months kind of setting the company up. But so, sure. you know taking a chance to actually do some childcare, um, <laughs> yeah. which was, it was lovely because it was, you know, kind of nice and relaxed way of starting. I didn't have to worry too much. Yeah. And it was just jumping in going like, right, I'm going to start this company. Got a bunch of mm-hmm. people on board and that's what I was got that ask. contract with, uh, with Sony. And that was yeah, kind of the I, start of it. I was going to ask, what's like for everyone listening, you know, you, if they wanted, if maybe they're starting or thinking about getting into indie, uh, creating an indie studio or getting involved, What's kind of like the process of that? You know, did you, I'm assuming you, you create the company and then you have to gather yeah, your team, right? Yeah. To a certain extent. I mean, I, I think I maybe did it slightly differently than a lot of people that, that I've done a lot of people that I've met because mm-hmm. what I've seen, what I've tended to see is like people who've recently graduated, who already kind of have a bit of a team or they already have some people in mind and mm-hmm. they, they, they go like right let's you know let's incorporate let's make a company and obviously i'm not going to say how to do that stuff because every country differs you know we have different sure, yeah. ways of starting and stuff. i mean there's <laughs> this bureaucratic paperwork yeah <laughs> but conceptually yeah, yeah, yeah. In, terms, in terms of the, the, the way that i started was very much like i want to do this i need artist coder um i also need someone senior to help bring and i can't afford like, you know, seniors. So how mm-hmm. am I going to do that? Well, I'll get some recent graduates, but I'll pair them off with with some some people who mm-hmm. are, you know, who've been doing it a while. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll hopefully learn off each other, which very much they did, especially on the art side, the sort of, um, the the lead artist was learning just as much from the, the, the junior as the other way around because the mm-hmm. process has all changed and so on. Yeah. And so that, for me, that was a case of going out and looking, you know, going to universities, speaking to people. Like some of it was, you know, a bit of networking. But one thing actually, probably the biggest bit of advice that I could give to anyone starting up is how important networking is. Because up until that point, like I say, I'd never pitched anything in my life. I was mm-hmm. hung over in a suit. Um but that networking part of it, I, had, I knew that I should do, but I hadn't quite mm-hmm. realized how much, how important it is to kind of grow those networks. And, you know, we're now 12 years old as a company and, you know, we have repeat customers for kind of work for, like, obviously we do our own games, but we also do porting and, and work for hire for other people. So last year we did um, a port of the room from PlayStation VR to PlayStation VR 2. We mm-hmm. helped out Bossa Studios on their upcoming game. We yeah, basically done a whole bunch of stuff on the side as well. Um, mm-hmm. And some of those things are brand new relationships, but some of them are 
relationships kind of five years in the making because you know you go to events like gdc or gamescom or you know develop in the uk or whatever mm-hmm. and you chat with these people you have a beer with them or three or you know you, you know you meet people you have chats with them they like you there's nothing going on for two years third year comes along it's like hey mm-hmm. you know you said you were good at this thing we might have an yeah. opportunity <laughs> and it's growing that network of people that's that's the kind of a super important part of things that I just I knew it was a big deal but I just didn't know quite how big a deal it would be yeah how much it would help you in the end so so you create a nosebleed you, you go and recruit um recent graduates put together a team and I'm assuming since you're the creative director at the time was the idea of the games yours and then you would just have your team build it is that right uh yeah I mean yes but also I you know we're a small team so I was kind of doing lots of the creation yeah yeah very much that's the bit that i love you know that's why i make that's Mm -hmm. why i'm a game developer it's not to tell people what to do it's to fiddle with numbers and tweak stuff and Mm -hmm. you know set up animations and i mean in arcade paradise just as an example Mm -hmm. so we've got a really good 3d arcade paradise was done with one artist um like the whole game so kind of quite a lot of asset packs and moving stuff around in there you know changing stuff out um Mm -hmm. Like I played, I played the demo of the new RoboCop game, and there's like an arcade in there, and like probably sixty percent of the arcade machines mm-hmm. look very similar to ours because they clearly bought the same asset pack. <laughs> um, but like, um, our artist is not great at um, at pixel art. Well, it's not that he's not great at it. I can't do three D. Mm-hmm. He can. Therefore, I was like, well, I'll, I'll learn to do some pixel art. So. Um, Wood Gal Jr., which is the like really old school one, that was mm-hmm. like one of the first ones, and you can kind of see it's meant to do this kind of crappy eight bit thing with like. Bloop, 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 bloop. Mm-hmm. But my progression of learning how to do pixel art better and better, you can see that through throughout like so uh, Wood Gal's adventure, which is the like Candy Crush type, you know, with the two D three D sort of world map thing. Same character, but 16-bit now. And, you know, the technology and people's artistry has moved on. But actually, that is also true because, you know, I was like, well, here's a really simple game with really crappy graphics that's getting better. But also I was getting better at doing the, this, this sort mm-hmm. of pixel art in the game. And so you can kind of see that progression um, yeah. through through the game, but also it works just in terms <laughs> of the narrative of the game. Yeah. You know, so, so, so you'd be the mastermind behind the idea of the game. Like, hey, here's the idea I have. Let's build it. And so, what was your guys' first game that you guys made as a Nosebleed Interactive? So it was called the Hungry Horde. That's um, right, and that's the one you pitched to Sony, right? Yeah, to Sony. So that effectively, it's a zombie game where you um, lead a, a horde of zombies and attack humans. And every time you kill a human, they join your horde. So think Pikmin with zombies. And a sort of a time limit because the government is trying to nuke you. The sort yeah. of the, the the sort of thing on that was that you'd control the horde with the left stick, but then you could kind of well, you could use the right stick to kind of split them apart, uh-huh. and you know, kind of multitask. Let's say so you could be there was some like light switch puzzles and stuff like that where you'd have to stand on one thing to open a door and then mm. move the group through and then move the next group through and kind of dumb stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then our next game was a game called Vostok Inc., which is 
available on all platforms, <laughs> um, <laughs> including Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4 I actually, and I've PC. And, <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, I think we might have lost Dre for a second. Let's see if he pops back in. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Um, I can hear you now. I just don't have a picture yet. I think I um I <laughs> I dropped <laughs> boxes onto uh, onto my camera input thing. Let me just quickly go to settings. I think it's yeah, it's using no problem. Camera again. Yep, we got there you back. Go. You see me and audio yep, is all we got you. normal. Cool. Yep, you're good. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry so, about that. Yeah, no, so um, so uh, yeah, but uh, that game, yeah. Think, on, on everything, you can buy it right now, and you should. <laughs> um, always be selling. Uh, I, I, will always, I will definitely be kicking that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a that's a, a twin stick shooter, uh, kind of a little like Geometry Wars meets an mm-hmm. idle game like Cookie Clicker, um, and yeah, it's like that was kind of the one where we. It feels like we kind of nailed our identity with that one, just in terms of mm-hmm. the types of games that we want to make. Um, Vost, uh, not Vost, the Hungry Horde definitely had a bit of that. You know, there's arcade mm-hmm. games in it. I mean, Zombat Two is an arcade game in um, in Arcade yeah, Paradise, and yeah. Zombat is an arcade awesome. game, <laughs> an unlockable arcade game in the Hungry Horde. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Vostok Inc. was like. It's this kind of idle game meets like the most frenetic genre of Twitch shooters <laughs> there are. It's like bullet hell meets idle game. How does that work? And it, it, it works yeah. a treat, actually. It was we we reviewed really well, like um Greg Miller from um well, uh, funny what's it called? Oh, forgotten what you, game over Greggy. Um yeah. loved it. And you know, there's uh, it hit a nerve. It just didn't sell that many. I mean, it, it sold okay, but not. You know, yeah. I'm not. I'm not driving a, a Ferrari or anything like yeah. that. Um, uh. And and yeah, but it was. It's that sort of addiction loop of like, ah, oh, I'll play for five more minutes, and then three hours later, you're still playing. And that's yeah. kind of one of those things that we really, we sort of, we we're trying to build on that from. Hungry Horde into Vostok mm-hmm. and then again in Arcade Paradise. So I'm I'm hoping that that sort of when people yeah. play Arcade Paradise, they're, they're a little bit like, yeah, it's really it's got something about it that stops you from from putting it down. It is. It's an addicting game. I I well before we continue, thank you Castro Games. He said he's a high school esports coach and a lot of podcasts are useful. Keep up the good work. Thank you. That's what we're trying to do. Trying to bring you know information to people that are in the industry that kind of want to get in behind the scenes. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, Arcade Paradise was awesome. I couldn't put it down. I just like, for some reason, it just kind of kept me in because there was always something that was just keeping you moving forward and keeping you unlocking things and getting, keeping you excited about the game. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of our outlook on stuff. It, uh, it started with, with the Hungry Horde, carried on in Vostok as well. And in Arcade, we sort of probably pushed it to the next level just in terms of the types of things. Mm-hmm. But the kind of part of the thing was we wanted players to always have something new to do every 20 minutes, maximum half an hour, probably every quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. So, you know, once you, once you get through the initial tutorial and so on, um, mm. you, 
you'll be getting a new arcade machine every yeah yeah half hour at least so so the I, i'm assuming the big turning point for you guys was when you were able to get in front of sony and pitch the hungry hordes right yeah 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 that was that and, was i mean that was well when they signed it was the turning point and so you you credit getting to that point from networking so to get in front of the sony execs you had an, you had your network that you could reach out to is that well what well, well kind of so actually that was from the previous job so i knew a couple mm. of the produ- i knew some producers there um mm. in fact junior producers but they were like, hey, yeah, um, we'll get this in front of whomever. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a competition going. You should, you should enter it. Um, entered it and so, kind of okay. won. But since so you were then, pitching. Uh-huh. yeah, since then, the network, uh, after that, it was like, all right, you know, this is established that some, relationship. Yeah, it's not just okay. a cold, like, cold, here's a pitch. It was like, okay, I need to talk to people that I want to pitch to before. Mm. And so they know. I mean, to, to a certain extent, a lot of it is is you knowing them as well. You know, there are companies where, well, not not, there are companies where this happens, but, you know, business relationships are relationships, right? You Mm -hmm. want to enjoy working with the people that you're working with. You don't want to go into it completely blind. And so if you're you're going into something with, with people that you've chatted to for years, and you know, have a good time with. You know, that's going to be a better working relationship than someone who you've never met, who's kind of just at the end of a you know, a Skype call, signing yeah. the check. You know, you want to be working with people closely, um, mm. so that they get buy-in on the project and all that sort of stuff as well. So, with other teams, then when they have, if they wanted to reach out to a brand like Sony, Nintendo, or Xbox, is there? Uh, do they have? anything specific that they need to do to reach out to them? Like, you know, is there like, how, do you, uh, how would you, every, anyone, let's say they don't have connection. If yeah, they don't have connections, like you, how, how would they get into that? All the companies are slightly different. So like with Xbox in the UK, at least, and to be fair, I think Xbox are like this in the U S as well. Mm-hmm. Like back when we first worked with them. So it was after the hungry horde, but on Vostok, I knew that we wanted to be on lots of different platforms I knew that we wanted to kind of start relationships outside of Sony. We didn't want to just have to rely on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I <laughs> basically hitched my bets. I was like, hey, we worked with Sony in the past. We would like to work with you now. Um, yeah. And they were like, yeah, cool. But um, he doesn't work there anymore. But there's a, a guy called Ago, Agostino uh, Simonetta, who was head of ID at Xbox. So that's independent developers at Xbox. Um and I'd met him at shows and stuff and just introduced myself. And he's like, just get in touch on Twitter. Just chat, just send me a DM on Twitter. So some people are a bit like that. Yeah. Um, Nintendo are a little bit more difficult in Europe, I think, to to speak to. It's that they're, they're, well, well, I say that. No, that's not even slightly true. No, I think that's unfair, <laughs> actually. No, yeah, I'm talking nonsense. Same sort of thing, you know, going to shows having a meeting, not necessarily pitching something straight away, but just having a meeting and saying, hey, we'd like to, you know, we're not trying to pitch to you a game. We're not trying to get money from you. More like mm-hmm. we are interested in working with Sony. We'd like to know what's involved. Um, and they all have business development folks mm-hmm. as well, you know, so that they are, they have people whose job it is to, to do networking, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So that's finding out who those people are. And I think, I think if you, if you, it all starts with like local networks. If you're mm-hmm. in a city where there's some game devs, go to the game dev meetups and 
get Find pally the with them. And then mm. they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know someone. I can do you an email intro. Or, oh, I know someone at this place. Or maybe this mm-hmm. person will... Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. that thing. It's kind of... Scratch back my back, the... I'll scratch yours. Be <laughs> yeah. nice, basically. Just be nice to people. Yeah. And they'll be nice back. Okay. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, you just reach out to them, build that network, build those relationships, and you should be able to get in front of people that you need to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's like... I think maybe there's a sort of... Maybe there's a bit of a fear when you've mm-hmm. not been doing it for a while, it's like, Oh, I'm not sure if, you know, I can build it for steam cause it's all automated. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know anyone at Sony. I don't know how I would pitch to Sony or, you know, I don't know the console holders. Oh, I don't know how I would get onto that. Cause that seems a bit too, too big. It's like, well, do you know what? These platforms want content. They're hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more they than you just, you need them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if they don't have games, they don't have anything. And it's the same with public, well, publishers, especially, you know, mm-hmm. publishers don't tend to have anything, you know, they don't, they don't have a console. They don't, yeah. unless they own developers, they don't tend to, you know, they need us more than we need them yeah. to a certain extent these days. And so developers can go straight to a platform as, you know, Sony, Nintendo, Xbox, or they can work with the publisher, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, if you've got money, then, mm-hmm. And you, you have a you have a, a knack for for self promotion and and or you know you have someone on the team who's really good at sort of marketing PR and all that sort of stuff. Then yeah, there's no reason that you couldn't self publish. And obviously, you're going to be taking the lion's share if that's the case. If you don't mm-hmm. have the budget to to build the game, then you might need to partner with either like a venture capital firm or something like mm-hmm. that, or private investors or a publisher. Um, but in that instance obviously you're not going to get as big a return unless of course your publisher is absolutely amazing or even has a brand tied to them that sort of let's be honest some something like you know a brand like rockstar they can <laughs> they can put a rockstar stamp on it and it'll sell no matter what it's yeah. like um to a certain extent devolver digital you know mm-hmm. devolver digital are a games brand as well as a as well as a publisher you know i'll buy a devolver game just because it's, I'm like, what what genre is it? I don't even look at who the developer is, which is a bit sad, especially as yeah. a developer. I should be like, huh, who is this developer? But I'm like, I know it's, you know, it's a it's a devolver game, therefore, yeah, I'll probably like it. Chances are, it's going to be high quality and up my street. Um, yeah. So that in that instance, you know, the brand recognition is. You know, obviously, you're getting the you know you're getting the development potentially you're getting the development budget and the marketing and so on, but also the fact that it is a devolver game to a certain extent kind of mm-hmm. helps, or you know, a Raw Fury game or whichever, yeah, whichever genre um, and whichever sort of publisher that you're like, oh yeah, I like all of their games so far. Sure. <laughs> so, so you get on all the platforms, like with um, your game that you just showed. Um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name again. Pull it up. I know it's on Vostok arcade. There it is. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so you, as an indie developer, you can decide to go straight digital or or physical, right? Or does it depend on your contracts? Um, I mean, everything's. I mean, all contracts are different, but uh, as a yeah, it, these days <laughs> it pays to do both. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really because I'm assuming physical, you're in stores in front of the people. <coughs> yeah. Digital, yeah. Yeah. And it's already been done, right? A lot of the times, mm-hmm. you're not as a developer. We don't, we're not fronting any of the the cash for for physical know, for cost of cost of sales or whatever it's called. 
Um, mm-hmm. That is that is already covered when they manufacture and so on. So, and and I'll be honest, we're not we're not doing like I think this was this this particular version with the the um, gold uh, gold oh my god with the guy in a pile of cash nude um, <laughs> on the cover that was limited to like three thousand copies or something like that I think. Uh, whereas arcade. Also available physically um, <laughs> via limited run games or the Wired Shop, or I think you can get it on Amazon as well. Uh, that one wasn't a limited release because obviously it's going to sell more than uh, sort of Arca- than Boston King because it's mm-hmm. a lot less niche. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, to be okay. honest, it's it's kind of like in terms of of creating the game, it's very straightforward, effectively. Yeah. Okay. One version is the <laughs> one version's the same as the other to all intents yeah. and purposes. Um, is it hard developing for different platforms, or is it, like you said, or is it just pretty straightforward with all of them? Oh, uh, it's not hard. <laughs> it's time consuming. So with with Arcade Paradise, we did Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, Steam, GOG, um, Steam, GOG, Epic. Windows Store, Amazon mm-hmm. Luna, and Google Stadia. And it's time-consuming, because each one, even though the game is fairly similar across all of them, each one's got its own little, you know, little things that are a bit of a pain. It's got a lot easier these days, and especially, I mean, we use a middleware called Unity, um, which means that stuff is straightforward, and we've got a bunch of plugins, like Rewide is one that we use for input mapping and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, I tell you one thing: if you're a, an aspiring developer going multi-platform, always lead on your shittest platform—not shittest, on your least powerful <laughs> platform. So, arcade, our, our lead platform on Arcade Paradise, despite the fact we're doing PS5 and Xbox Series um, early in the life cycle of those consoles, and you know, obviously, PC with all the bells and whistles, we led on Nintendo Switch because. It's easy to make the well. If you can make the game run nicely and look good on Switch, mm-hmm. then you can add the bells and whistles for the other platforms. Whereas if you mm-hmm. go, oh my god, it's the best looking PC game ever, and then you try and port down to Switch, you're gonna have to cut corners and and take stuff out, and it's just reduces the experience. A, yeah, it's a compromised <laughs> experience, right? Whereas the other way around, you can be like, oh, we could add this, oh, we could add that. Hmm, what other yeah. nice little things? You know, you can have fun that way, whereas it's a massive ball ache and a pain going the opposite way. In actual fact, there's a bit of an anecdote with Arcade on Switch, which is that we <laughs> we have, on the Switch version, a performance mode and a, and a graphics mode. Mm-hmm. Because we were getting, we were trying to go for sixty frames a second, but we wanted the nice graphics as an option. Um, mm. But we optimized it so well <laughs> that effectively <laughs> the performance mode is redundant because it, the graphics mode, already... the one with all the pretty, with all the post effects and stuff, already renders at sixty frames a second almost everywhere. So it's like, all right, fair enough. Well, yeah. that's a that's a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> so we were quite happy with by the time we kind of launched it was like oh well, we could take this out but let's just leave it in if you want to go 1080p on, on big screen yeah <laughs> true so um as a game indie game developer then for you guys how does i guess what is when you from conception to end to when it's on the shelf what does it look like for a new game development 
<laughs> um, long process i'm sure yeah yeah i mean so prototyping is the really fun bit oh, there's a, right so there's a really good anecdote and that is like the first 80 percent of the game takes the first 20 percent of the time to make and the last 20 percent of the game takes the rest of the 80 percent of the time to make so um getting to the point where you're like you know arcade paradise for example you know we've got like 30 whatever 40 something now i guess um arcade machines and this whole game loop with like a, and a story and all that sort of stuff getting it to the point where we had most of the games and the core loop and all that sort of stuff was pretty fast oh in fact even better example is at vostok so the prototype for vostok was really similar to the, the final game and it took us maybe three four weeks to make that first like you know you can play the game it feels good we know exactly what the game is and then two and a half years was polish and tweaking and adding little bits and bobs and getting it ported to all the consoles and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of, yeah, iterating and and, and ideation. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. well, well, <laughs> one thing I've learned is to get someone on board who's good at planning because I am yeah. not. <laughs> um, I, yeah, my, my personality type is very sort of, here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> sure. A bit, a bit like the game, you know, you kind of yeah. distra- easily distracted. But I think that's, a lot of that's kind of come from my from my personality anyway. Like arcade mm-hmm. is a game that I actually play for fun, mm-hmm. even now, despite yeah. having worked on it for <laughs> years, a long time now. Um, um, yeah. So I mean, how does it feel when you see your game on a shelf? Is it like? Oh, it's it cool. Exciting? Yeah, it's still it's still really cool. It's really fun. Um, yeah. It is, yeah, it feels really nice. Actually, <laughs> so I was saying earlier on that I quit my job and went traveling because uh, mm-hmm. my wife was doing a PhD and was doing field work abroad. So one of the places we went to, we went to like New Zealand for about six months, seven months, and mm-hmm. I got a job in electronics boutique out there. Guy that interviewed me was kind of weirdly shy chatting mm-hmm. with me. Uh, I mean, he was interviewing me. He was the manager of the shop. I think he was a little yeah. bit younger than me. Um in the McDonald's in the shopping mall that we're in. And then at the end, he's like, well, you've got the job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then he was like, but like your CV, you know, it says you, you know, used to be a, a tester on games and stuff. Like mm-hmm. if I get one of the games, is your name going to be in the credits? <laughs> Basically I was like, yeah, sure. So we went into the shop and got the PS2 version of, I think it was SRS street racing syndicate. And like, there was like, you know, QA team. And there was my name and basically all the, all the, um, regulars that went into the shop when when we were both on a shift together he'd be like oh look look this guy worked on this game look here's his name and I was like look, I felt like a bit of a rock star <laughs> despite yeah. this, despite it being the least glamorous thing possible yeah <laughs> that's awesome um, well that's great I mean that's awesome I'm I'm sure that was some great information for all of our listeners um, so. Now where you guys are at, what do you guys have planned for the future? You know, you guys have established yourselves, right? Yeah. You guys have a nice team. You have good games out right now. What's kind of the roadmap for 24 for you guys? Or anything yes. coming up? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so just before Christmas, I think it was the 6th of December, we announced um, – oh, where is it? We announced that Arcade Paradise VR is coming. Oh, cool. To MetaQuest 2 and 3. So uh, – I'm not going to talk That'll about be a fun that experience. very much. Do you know what? It's quite transformative, actually. It's like it, it feels 
So with Arcade, we really, well, with Arcade Paradise, we really wanted to make the players feel like present in that world. You know, mm-hmm. we want fit you. It was about being in the nineties in a shitty job that you hate, with the prospect of having this cool job that you love in mm-hmm. the background. You know, it's like that sort of aspirational thing. And you know, we spent a lot of effort trying to make it really feel quite authentic and. F- feel like that like i was telling you earlier on about the you know the screens everything was rendered to the screen rather than you know to the crt tvs and all that sort of stuff um playing it in vr really really does transport you like it feels it feels so kind of weirdly authentic (laughs) and some of the activity you know again i don't want to talk too much because we've got some Basically, I'll get get told off if I I'll get told (laughs) off by the the publisher's marketing team. But like the sort of the activities, you know, like stuff in Arcade Paradise where you know you would press a button to do something physical, like putting washing in a washing machine. You know, we would simulate something. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do that in VR. We can actually physically do that stuff. So cleaning the toilet doesn't feel like a lock picking game. It feels like cleaning the toilet, throwing the trash (laughs) out doesn't feel like a golf swing meter it feels like you're physically throwing trash in it. and it's like it's those things that that have really it feels really at home on yeah on uh, in vr that's that's great so are you guys gonna be developing more stuff for vr or, or i mean so we've we've so we've done a whole bunch of vr games in the past for other people this is mm-hmm. our first vr title of our own but we've done like we've worked we've had people working on sniper elite in vr we've mm-hmm. had people working on oh god what's it called uh, budget cuts a port of that i think it was a ps4 port we had someone working on mm-hmm. um like i say the room the port of the room to uh ps vr2 um so yeah we've done we've done a whole and some non-games commercial stuff as well so we've, we're kind of mm-hmm. we're familiar with vr mm-hmm. um and obviously arcade fits nicely um, yeah. But so there's that, and then we also have um, starting soon another project that I can't talk about that's going to be sure. super duper exciting, and we're pitching the next sort of big nosebleed game. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, at GDC basically is where we're going to start pitching. So that's like three months. So we're kind of basically starting work yesterday because that's when we were mm-hmm. back in the office on a yeah. prototype for that. Um, which we've got two and a bit months to do, whilst also yeah. <laughs> uh, going into submission on uh, on yeah. APVR. Well, that's exciting. I'm excited because uh, Arcade Paradise, that would be an awesome game in VR. I think everyone should check it out. If you haven't played Arcade Paradise, play it. It's on all the platforms, like you said right now. It's a great game. If you love nostalgia and just being engaged, that was such a fun game. <laughs> There it is. In store or online or digital. Yeah, in store, online, digital. It's on Game Pass still at the moment, and it might still be on Humble Choice. I'm not sure. But it's always on sale and all that sort of stuff. And it's you get a lot of game for your buck. (laughs) Yeah, it's an awesome game. Um so any before we start wrapping up, anything kind of you had anything you want to tell the you know, followers, listeners, any kind of insights or any special kind of in pieces of information that you've learned throughout your career? Be nice to people. That's a big one. Do plenty of networking. Um, If you are a designer um, or a coder looking to do stuff, um, 
check out Juice It or Lose It. Just YouTube, just Google Juice It or Lose It and The Art of Screen Shake, two really important videos for just bang for buck stuff uh, in terms of like basically making the screen shake, making feel, games feel nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? You could, you could follow us on Twitter if you like. At yeah, those plug in. Games. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, plug in all your socials so everyone can reach out to you and follow you, keep up to date. Yeah, at Nosebleed Games. Um, it's actually Nosebleed Interactive is the company, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. probably, I think we've got a Facebook one as well, but I can't remember. It's probably Nosebleed Interactive on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think we've got, we do have, is it Threads? We do have threads mm-hmm. as well, although I think I've posted on there once and I just see like occasionally people start following and I'm like, yeah, eventually I'll hook something up so it auto-posts. <laughs> but we don't spam you. I think we're going to open yeah. a dis- we're probably going to open a Discord, a public Discord um, mm. channel at some That's point a good idea. soon. Mm. Um, and yeah, play Arcade Paradise and Vostok Inc. Um, yes. And follow us and yeah. <laughs> be nice. Be nice. Just be nice to people. That's the yeah. main one. I mean, that's just a life lesson, but as a business mm-hmm. thing as well, just be nice to people. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, there's his benefit, nice everyone. And, yeah, be nice to people. People are nice to you. And, you know, mm-hmm. just have a. It's, yeah. People make games not. I mean, yeah, it's a business and it's there to make money, but I think most people that are, that are, are making games are making it for the love of the craft and the yeah. love of games, you know, it's all about, mm-hmm. it's all about that sort of enjoyment. And if you don't, you know, if you're starting a company, make sure it's somewhere that people want to work and keep working at make, keeping it a place that people want to work. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause you're not going to be, you're not going to be paying as much as Ubisoft and Activision and so on. So mm-hmm. how else can you benefit them? Well, by making it somewhere that, that they want to work where they, they have some, where they have decision-making, Sort of, mm. they're not a they're not a little cog in a <laughs> in a big machine. They're a big cog in a little machine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, before I wrap up, um, let everyone know. Let me know what are your top three favorite games of all times. Oh no, <laughs> I can't. I can't. Um, oh, it's a top twenty. I could do top three is <laughs> right. I don't want to be held on this one because it's just too. Sure. It changes well, too much. But, we'll have you back on the future, so you can always change it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think Shenmue has to be in there because mm, that was okay. quite that was quite transformative. Mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time probably Classic. has to be in there. Ah, oh, what we're we gonna go with third one? Because as soon as I say it, there's gonna be something else that I'm like, oh, why didn't I say you that forgot. one? <laughs> no, no. Well, that's it. I'm like, I'm Metal Gear Solid three, but no. But yeah, I don't. Let's leave the last one, the third one, and these are in no order as a blank slate because there are so many okay. i mean i'm, I'm playing True. cyberpunk 2077 finally at the moment mm-hmm. i mean i played a ton of modern warfare 2 like a, a, an absolute no in fact modern warfare sorry the, the mm-hmm. remake played an absolute ton of that recently i don't know if i actually like it though <laughs> i'm more i'm more a slave to oh, I'm, i was more yeah. a slave to it um you should have asked the influences on arcade paradise that would have been an easier question because the there are okay, massive. What is, what are you... Okay, so oh. some non. There's some obvious ones, obviously. You know, mm-hmm. Pac-Man, GTA, yada yada. That's the mm-hmm. like the what the obvious ones that are the games. But like one of the big ones, early doors was Stardew Valley, just in terms of the game mm. loop and that like um, the saving system. You, you end the day to save the game, mm-hmm. but then you you've probably got something new being delivered. So you're like, oh, I'll just play for five more minutes to see what the new thing yeah. is. 
when you play for five more minutes and that's already a half a day. So you're like, well, I might as well finish my day. And then you've yeah. got something new. And so you kind of, you're kept in that loop. That was a, a genius thing. Obviously Shenmue is a huge, well, Shenmue and Yakuza are a huge influence on arcade paradise, just in terms of like the world building and the fact that we wanted to create something that felt like a, like a, a big open world game. Mm-hmm. in terms of the variety of things that you can do and so on, but compact it into like two rooms, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it kind of if, it kind of feels a bit like one of those open world games where you've got a whole bunch of different things to do, mm-hmm. but it's in a laundromat and, a, and an arcade <laughs> and a bus stop. That's, that's yeah. the entire world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to expand out, let's say, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily with the arcade theme that kind of I see the next nosebleed game being kind of a it's going to be similar in terms of the the game feel but mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully bigger so yeah there's two influences <laughs> <laughs> okay and the last question real quick um how'd you come up with nosebleed so there's a when I started the company like this is like 12 years ago there's this like fashion not fashion but in the UK games companies had this like, it was a phase where everyone was like, you know, an animal, an, a verb and an animal, or like a verb, uh, like an animal and a color, or a fruit and a color. And it was just like, you know, giggling donkey, or like blue squid, or yellow cherry digital, or whatever. And it was just, there were just so many of them that it was like, we actually had a, we had a, a spreadsheet of like, the bad names and I look at a thing where, you, you know, the, the full yeah. name, but a thing where you could just hit a button and it would like randomly jumble them up and you'd be like, well, these are all terrible. Um, <laughs> so we wanted something just a bit more edgy that had like multiple connotations and just, yeah. Um, just kind of cool and memorable. Yeah. It's definitely um, edgier than everything else out there. <laughs> yeah. The other thing was that th- there's, um, so I was a big fan of Wipeout 2097. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the original PlayStation, and there was a there was a bit of poster art for that, and I didn't I didn't realize it, but I've known the guy who came up with the marketing campaign for that game for years. He's like a close friend, and I didn't realize he worked at Sony at the time and and was in charge of that. I was like when I when he told me we were eating a curry, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like properly in awe. I was like. I, I, our company logo is basically based on a poster that you yeah. directed. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, mate. Look, look. So yeah, big shout out to to Gary on that one. Um, but yeah, that was it. That's cool. That's, yeah, that's, that's the cool. reason. Just wondering because <laughs> yeah. it, just it wanted was to not thing. be giggling donkey yeah. or yeah blue. Yeah, sure, I got you. <laughs> Well, Dre, uh, we will definitely have to have you back on um, later this year, kind of follow up and see what Nosebleed's getting into, what they got releasing, kind of development on stuff. Um, so if you'd like to come back on, I'd love to have you back. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Maybe a little retrospective on uh, on Arcade Paradise VR. Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap it up. We're hitting the hour mark. Uh, but thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out. Tell our viewers a little bit about yourself, background, your kind of your history, and, and a little bit into the Nosebleed Interactive Development. Um, awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. So uh, for, this will go live. Um, you can stay on, though. Uh, we will end this here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, you can re- reach out to me or um, Dre through his socials. Sound good? Cheers. Right. Yeah, perfect.